So if if you've noticed, the book of Job is often one of those books that when you get to it in your reading plan, something like Leviticus, you tend to maybe read a little bit, maybe, maybe doze off a little bit, maybe skip a few chapters. Maybe you read the beginning, maybe you know something of the outline of Job, so you know that there's going to be a lot of arguments with friends in the middle. And so you just read the first three chapters or so, you, you bounce around a little bit, and then you get to the end. You get to the end where, where spoiler alert, Job is restored, and everything is good, and, and you're able to think, that's my God. He's the God that restores. But there's so much within the book of Job that I feel like gets, gets looked over. And hopefully tonight we'll, we'll have a chance over the next hour or so to look at what God has for us in the book of Job. Tonight we're going to take the approach uh, of kind of like a running tour. Sometimes it'll feel like a sprinting tour where we'll, we'll sprint for a little bit, we'll go through some things, and we'll pick some flowers along the way. First, let's start off uh, with, with Job on our guided tour. and Let's talk about the author. Now, when it comes to the New Testament books, so many of the New Testament books have the author in, in its name. Job could potentially be the author of this book, but we, we really just don't know. We don't know who wrote the book of Job, and even the time period uh, as to which it was written is a mystery. Some scholars will say uh, that it was uh, written kind of closer to the time uh, of Ezekiel. They'll say it was written uh, kind of like right there before that, uh, that exile period, or, or maybe right after, because the book of Ezekiel actually talks about Job. In Job, uh, I'm sorry, in Ezekiel 14, 14, it takes three righteous people, the three most righteous people of the entire Old Testament, and it says that they're Noah, Daniel, and Job. These are people who are righteous in their generation. And you'll remember that, Daniel. How righteous was Daniel living amongst the Babylonians? How righteous was Noah when you had all of these people who were not obeying God? And yet Job is hoisted up there with them in Ezekiel's mind and in the mind of the Lord as one of the three paragons of faith, one of the three paragons when it comes to righteousness. So at least uh, some people believe that that it was written uh, around the time of Abraham all the way up to uh, maybe exile, post-exile. But it, it seems to me that it's at least placed around the time of the patriarchs, around the time... Of, of Abraham. But the beautiful thing about Job is that it actually doesn't matter when it was written. It's almost like a western. It's, it's, like, it's like something that the, the time and place don't even matter because the truths that are going on are things that everybody deals with in everyday life. Maybe even today, right now, you can begin thinking as we're just in this, in this uh, it, right before we dive deep into uh, the meat of Job, you can already begin to think of those people that you know, man, They were such a righteous person, but they suffered. Maybe it was a pastor in your past or or, or a friend in a church. We've all seen this, and it seems to be something that is timeless and true. And it's a question that's on our hearts. Why do the good suffer? And why, why do the evil seem to prosper before us? The time and the date don't matter. Because what Job has for us is so impactful for today. It's set in the land of Uz. Uh, you see that in the, in the very first uh, several lines. And this is going to be southeast of Israel. This is even going to be uh, kind of away from, uh, from, from Judaic thought and those sort of things. It's in a separate kind of foreign land. And if you know anything about the Bible, you'll know that the Edomites are enemies of God, and this seems to be the area as to which ooze uh, happens uh, to be. Let's talk about this genre real quick before we do anything else. And this is actually going to be the beginning of the poetry section. Here we have a couple of books that we'll be studying over the next several weeks. Uh, Job is, is the first. Um, that's what we'll be studying today. Next week we'll be studying Psalms, and actually Psalms will be broken up into two weeks. I think we might have uh, Pastor Rick and, and Pastor Blake coming to teach those in the next several weeks. Next, we have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And you really see this wisdom uh, wisdom narrative, this wisdom genre, this poetry genre here. And I think that Job allows for us to see another side of how the world works. 
I think when we look to the Psalms, we certainly see the strong theology. We were in Romans for, what, two years? That's like the strong theology of the New Testament. We're able to see so much in those writings about who God is and who we are and how we can trust Him. And that's exactly what the Psalms are. Uh, uh, as, a, as a former missionary overseas, I was able to be in a country where not everyone was able to have a Bible. In fact, that was, that was illegal. And what they would do as they were in jails is that they would memorize so much. And it, it comes to me that, that most of, uh, of the people that I would uh, be sharing the gospel with, at least, at least the Christians are around me, the Psalms were, were so powerful for them. They taught them so much about the Lord. They weren't just poems or songs. They were true, robust theology. And that's what the Psalms are for us. And then we have Proverbs. And Proverbs basically says this. It says, if you, if you live a righteous path, most of the time you will get a righteous outcome. And if you live a stupid path, if you, if you, are, if you are ignorant to the way of the Lord, well, you're going to go to the path of ruin. And we know this to be true just based on our own lives. We have people in our lives who live recklessly, and most of the time the outcome is a reckless outcome. We know most of, uh, of us that, that try our best to live conservatively, to live life following after the Lord, we hope that most of the time things will end up well for us. That's how Proverbs kind of, kind of talks. And Ecclesiastes asks the question that Job seems to try to pair with it. Well, what happens when that doesn't happen? Because we know that to be true. We know that if we go down the path of righteousness, we don't always get in return righteousness. And if we go down the path of evil, we don't always get repaid evil. That's called karma, and we don't believe in that as believers. However, the, uh, the Proverbs and, and, and the Ecclesiastes and Job try to show us how the world works in different ways. And Job is one of those books that's going to help us to see what happens, what happens when someone who is righteous, they just get ruined. Their life seems to be nothing but a heap of ashes. This genre, this wisdom literature helps us to find who is God? Who is God? And what does that mean for us? There's a, several themes here that I think that you'll see that are just screaming at you. It was screaming at me as I was reading through the book of Job, and, and there are these. The first one is justice. And, and the, the most important question that comes to my mind is, where can we find justice? I told you earlier that it's almost like a Western. And, and in Western movies, uh, I never really got into them, but my, my dad loves Western movies. And it always seems to be justice is, is at stake. Who is getting robbed? Who is getting done wrong with? And who is going to be coming in to make the day right? And here Job seems as if he has been wronged and he is righteous. And how does all of this work together? The next question, or the next big theme here is righteousness. Who can be righteous? We're going to have three friends, and then later, some young whippersnapper who just shows up named Elihu. We're going to have all these people try to define what righteousness is. And honestly, at times, you'll be thinking, man, these friends are right on. Who can stand before the Lord? All of these things are so true. But along the way, the friends are... They're getting something wrong. Either their premise is wrong or their conclusion is wrong. And we'll see that together here soon. But who can be truly righteous? The next thing we're going to be talking about is, the next theme is sovereignty. Why does God do the thing that God does? Why does God allow for the baby to not be born? Why does God allow for the loved one to pass? Too soon. Why does God do and why does God allow the things that we at times question? And don't we find ourselves so often in the place of Job asking why, Lord? The friends here in a second that we'll see are, they're going to put Job on trial. Job is looking for comfort. But Job seems to put God on trial. And if we're honest, with the book of Job, we put God on trial as well. God's sovereignty is a question here. Why 
Why does God do the things that God does? And let me go ahead and tell you, if, if tonight you're hoping that I'm going to tell you why God does the things that God does, I, I'm sorry, but we won't be able to get there. I hope that we'll come to an answer that is satisfactory for us, something that will, that will be, uh, like I said earlier in, in, in my prayer, a balm for us, something that will help us and ease us. But the book of Job doesn't actually answer why. And we won't see that. And we'll have to learn to trust God's sovereignty, even in the most difficult and terrible situations. Situations that many of you have been in. Situations that I have no idea about. I have no idea about the sorrow in your life. But God does. God knows everything. And we'll see how he cares for us through the book of Job. And then lastly, wisdom. What is wisdom and where can it be found? Where is this elusive thing called wisdom and how can we achieve it and where does it come from? Uh, if you guys um, are familiar with the book of Proverbs, I'm sure the answer is already screaming at you. And here in Job, Job actually agrees with that. So I hope that you guys have your Bibles and we'll be doing a lot of reading. We'll be doing, doing a lot of skipping around. Uh, uh, so I hope that you guys will go ahead and flip to uh, the place that we should start. And that'll be verse 1 of chapter 1. If you guys were my kids, I would say, take your finger, and the first word is, there was, right here, so take your fingers, we'll put it there, and it's going to be one, uh, the big one, and the little one. So let's start there together. It says this, it says, there was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. And he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. His sons used to go and hold feasts in the house of each one on his day, and they would send an invite, uh, they would send and invite their three sisters and eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did this sacrificing continuously. Here we see the person who Job is. Here we're not, just, we're not just left to think, is Job really righteous? No, we're told at the very beginning, at least at the beginning of Job, Job is a righteous man who cares for his family. He gives offerings uh, for himself and for his children. He is a man that lives by faith, and he is following after the Lord. All of this so far is agreeable, and we're very happy about Job and his life. Something very terrible is about to happen. Let's continue in verse 6. And no, we won't be reading the entirety of it, but these first two chapters are very important uh, to understand the rest of the book. So let's, let's continue here. It says, uh, Now there was a day when the sons of God, this is some sort of name for uh, the heavenly hosts that are, that are around God in heaven, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none on the earth like him, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and, and his house and, and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Let's continue reading. But let's skip down a, a little bit. 
Let's get down to uh, verse 16. It says, While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them all, and I alone have escaped. This happens several other times where it says, I alone have escaped. The most terrible things have happened. Let's, let's pick up at verse 20. It says this, Then Job arose, and after all the most terrible things have happened to his family and everything, then Job arose and tore uh, his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. It says, but he worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here we have a little bit of commentary on all that Job has. So at least until the end of chapter 1, it says this. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Here again in chapter 2, we'll see that Satan comes back again after, after Job has remained blameless. And he's going to say, well, Lord, the only, reason why Satan, uh, the only reason why Job still worships you is because he has his health. Let me take away his health. And the Lord, for some reason, allows for this to happen. And let's pick up there in verse 7 of chapter 2. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores uh, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of pottery, Job does, and with which he scraped himself while he sat in ashes. Job is going to sit in these ashes until chapter 42. This is going to be the setting of Job in ashes, which is where his life is, his health is, his family, all in rubble, in ruin. And I know, I know that you have felt this way before. And here in chapter 3, we'll see how he reacts. But this is what it says in verse 9. It says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Here we have, we have a strategy going on. Everything is taken away from him except for his wife, and I, think, I feel like the wife gets a really bad rap a lot of the time because this is something that I feel like I would say. Like we are all, like it, the whole world has come crumbling down. Can we not just complain? And, 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 and can't we just say things that we don't mean and just be all upset all at once? I know that I've said things that, while I was upset that I didn't mean. And I think that right here, he, he says this. You're speaking like a foolish woman. He's not saying, woman, you're a fool or anything. I think we give this lady a bad rap because I feel like this is actually where most of us would be, uh, except for some reason Job is way more righteous than the rest of us. So why, why can he say this? He doesn't sin against God? And, and next, his three friends come. So let's, let's read this in verse 11. Now when, Job's three friends, uh, now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they, eat, uh, they came each from his own place. Uh, Eliphaz, the Temanite, uh, Bildad, the, Shu, uh, the Shuite, Zophar, the Namanite, they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. This is the thesis statement. They are coming to try to comfort Job in his ashes. His wife couldn't do it. Let's see if the three friends can, can give him some sort of relief, some sort of comfort. This is the same word that when Noah comes, uh, his father says, this is going to be the one that's going to bring us relief from the ground. That's the same word, comfort, here. It's kind of this idea of <sighs> relief. This deep sighing of relief. Who can finally take that weight off of his shoulders? Is it going to be the three friends? Spoiler alert, it won't be. Verse 12. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. He's got all these sores. He's shaved his head. He's got all these ashes, as would be probably the ritual of the time to show how upset you are. Some, some time of mourning where you're actually dressing for mourning, and I don't just mean when you wake up, I'm talking about when you're sad. 
They didn't recognize him. And, and they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes, and they themselves sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven, and they sat with him on the ground seven days, seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. This is going to be their best decision, to just sit there and be quiet. If there's one thing I've learned from pastoral ministry is that I do not have the answers, and I have not been where people are, but people, people need someone to support them, to care for them, to just sit there and not say anything. And this is the best thing that they do, because they're about to open up their mouths with some, at times, you're going to say, yeah, that sounds like something from the Bible. That sounds something great. But they're just going to be throwing a lot of platitudes at Job. They're not going to be helping him where he is. They're not preaching the gospel to him. They're not, they're not coming alongside him to, to uplift him after all this terribleness has happened. They're going to think that something bad has happened to Job. Because remember, do bad, get bad. Do good, get good. Job, you have bad, so you must have some, done something wrong. And they are about to become the prosecutor. The word Satan that we just saw, the Satan, means the person that's bringing the accusation, the accuser. That's what Satan's name means. And Job's name means persecuted. And he is going to be persecuted not only by Satan, but by his so-called friends over the next several chapters. And he is going to be put against the wall in so many different ways. And these guys are going to come after him. And we're going to see how Job is going to react and how Job is going to wrestle. Let me just, before we move to Job's lament, and we're going to have to get really quick here in a, here in a little bit. We're going to have to start sprinting. I want to cast your minds back to Genesis real quick, another big book. And I want to remind you of Jacob and Jacob's wrestling and struggling with God. In fact, the entire Israelite people are named after this. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, one who strives with God, one who wrestles with God. And I want to say right now, if we read the psalmist correctly, if we read Job correctly, it is okay to strive with God, to wrestle and ask why and try to figure it out, but at the end of the day, trust God's sovereignty and try to figure out how we can continue trusting. I know that you have felt like you're at the end of your rope and you've felt like you're struggling. Sometimes you give up and you're not struggling, though. So let's struggle with this. There's some tension here in the book of Job, and we're going to have to wrestle with this. Why does God do these things? And by the end of the book, we're going to have to be okay, just like Job is, with being comforted and trusting that our God is bigger than we could ever hope or imagine. That He is more sovereign and more good than we could ever know. And rest right there in that tension. Let's see here in chapter 3. Job does something that that many of us would do, and, and we would imagine that this would be very sinful of him to do, to sit in the ashes and to be upset. But Job is looking for an answer. He's not saying, my God is not good. He's not saying, my God is evil. My God is terrible. Who is this God that does this to me? He is saying, why? What in the world is going on, and how can I hope to understand these most terrible things going on? And he starts to lament his birth. He's not suicidal. He's not doing those things. He simply says, I wish I was never born, and I wish none of this happened. How can I just undo this? I feel so much pain. I just want to feel numb because the pain hurts too bad, and you know exactly what I mean because you've been there. Job is here just in pain. And no one, no one is helping him. He hates his condition. He's sitting there, I'm sure, with all these sores. His heart is broken. His body is broken. He's at the end of his rope. And here are his friends. The cavalry is here. They're going to help me. And, and they're going to say some good things, but they're going to say some really, really bad things. And they're just going to accuse Job. So let's look here. We, we're going to start, there's going to be three cycles of three friends, except for on that third cycle, the last friend won't talk. So you guys see where I am in the notes? So we're going we're gonna to start there, and we're going to read a little bit from, from each one, and we're at least going to see one perspective 
from each friend. We're not going to probably be able to spend the entire time talking about the friends uh, like we would hope to do because, man, these guys say some interesting things. Uh, but we're going to start moving quickly. It says here in uh, chapter 4 of verse 1, Then Eliphaz the, the Temanite answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet you keep, uh, you keep from speaking. Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Man, it's building this guy up. Hey, you've, you've been really awesome. You've been really strong. This is who you are. You're somebody to be envied. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the, the feeble knees. He's buttering him up. You see, this is about to, he's about to knock him down. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God, your confidence, and integrity of your ways, your hope? Skip down to verse 8. It says this, As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. What you do is what you get, and you are sitting in the ashes, brother. So maybe you need to get a wake-up call because you are unrighteous. Then he says this in verse 17. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? And, and in a New Testament sense, of course, we would all say, well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Pastor Cam. That is not the point of Job right here in this book. The point of Job is to say, what happens if the most righteous man in the entire earth faces difficulty? We're taking the most extreme situation, and we're saying Job, the most righteous man of all time, at least one of the three under Jesus. Who, what happens? What happens when he truly is righteous and he's just getting, getting taken to? The premise here is that sinners get punished and that Job has been punished, so he must be a sinner. Skip with me to Job 6, verse 24, and we're going to be able to see Job's reaction to Eliphaz. The, 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 the way this book works, and if you're looking at my notes is that someone will speak, and then Job will defend himself. Someone will speak, Job will defend himself, and, on, and so on and so on in three different rounds. And this is what Job says to his friend. Job is going to start off very patient. He just got called impatient, but he's actually very patient with them in the beginning, and he's going to slowly just get less and less patient with his friends who are accusing him. It says this in verse 24 of, of chapter 6. It says, Hey man, teach me, teach me and I'll be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. Job is saying, look, if, if, you can, if you can point it out, I'll listen. But you're not doing a very good job of pointing it out to me as to where my sin is. You've not said it. You're just saying, because of this platitude, because, because you're saying my life is messed up, I must have done something wrong. Now, let me just say this. That's probably true for the most of us. We're probably sitting uh, uh, amongst our own ruins. The things that have happened to us are probably because of our own foolishness and folly, but we're taking an extreme example here with Job. Why don't you guys flip with me uh, again to uh, verses 11 of chapter 7, and he's got another, uh, another explanation of, of, of how he's going to keep coming after these guys, and he's going to defend himself. 7, 11. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. He's talking to Eliphaz, remember. I, I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, and I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster? At that time, think about it. The sea was the most tepid thing. It was the most untrustworthy thing, the most crazy thing. Uh, you, people died at the sea regularly. He's saying, am I this? Am I this uncontrollable? Am I this wild that you would have to set guard over me? Am I this untrustworthy? Verse 13. When I say, my bed will comfort me. Not you guys. I just want to go to bed. Go, go away from me. I'm done with you guys. I thought that you guys were the cavalry. I'll just take my bed over you guys at this point. And he doesn't have a bed, probably. It was probably destroyed. He probably just says, I'll take a you know, nap in, this, in these ashes. Just stop talking to me. 
But he's been accused now, so he has to keep going. Uh, when, I, when I say, my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life and would not live forever. Let, let me alone, uh, leave, leave me alone, for the days are a breath. He's just at the end of himself. You guys aren't helping. I'm so upset. I just want to go to bed. Just leave me alone. I, I feel like I just don't even want to be alive. The pain is too much. And he's being honest. He's being honest here. This is where he is, and he's got nothing but people pointing the finger at him, saying, you are wrong when he is righteous. Let's keep going down, and let's, let's visit Bildad. Maybe Bildad's got some good words for us. What do you guys think? Probably not. Probably not. Let's see Bildad in, in chapter 8, and it says, Then Bildad, uh, the Shuite, answered him and said, How long will you say these things? And the words of your mouth be a great wind. You're full of it. You're full of hot air. Yeah, you know, Job, just cut it out. Oh, well, you know, I know you're being, you know, you're suffering. I know you're sad. Cut it out. Let's just get this over with, and then you'll feel better. Just admit it. Just admit it, Job. Just admit it. Does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert the right? See again, what you do is what you get. This is karma. This is what they want him to believe. But Job is not, he's going to hold strong. Is he? I, don't, I guess I can just go ahead and tell you. He will. He will. Let's keep going. If your child, if your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgressor, of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, it wasn't small. Remember, this guy was like the, like the richest dude around. Your latter days will be very great. Okay, all right, we can take some things from this and be like, all right, Bill, Dad, I see where you're coming from. Uh, yeah, if, you know, okay, let's, let's take it, okay. If I seek the Lord and plead with the Almighty for mercy, he, he, will be, he will be careful with me. He will restore me. But Job is saying, I've done nothing wrong. I've done, I'm pure here. Uh, I, what you're saying about God is kind of true, but, but some of this premise of me, being a, uh, of me having done something to deserve this is, is wrong. And you kind of see him say, well, if you, if you go back to God, then he'll give you everything that, that you want. And while that does happen, it's not exactly right. So we can take some things and say, okay, I see where you're going. But again, they're not really helping him in the moment. They're just trying to give these platitudes. All right, let's keep going and let's see what Job has to say in Job 9, starting in verse 27. 9, verse 27. He needs somebody to help him out. I don't know if you've ever gotten in a crash or if you've ever been in an unfortunate situation where you needed some, some legal help. This is what he needs right here. Job is going to need somebody to help him out because he can't get through to his friends. So right here, he, he, this is what he says. 9.27 If I say I, I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. So basically, if you're saying, let me just... Put on a happy face, right? This is what we tell uh, children in my ministry. Hey, stop being so sad. Put on a happy face. You know, everything is great. You're at, you're at kids' ministry. You should be happy. It's a wanna. Uh, he says, okay, I, I could do that. I could just pretend. But I have become afraid of all of my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. Uh, I shall be condemned by you guys. Why then do I labor in vain if I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye? Yet you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me. For he, God, is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hands between, uh, on us both. 
uh, let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak uh, without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. He says, I need someone who's a mediator. I need someone to come between us. And right here, I think we see one of the very first glimpses and foreshadowings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that we need someone to come between us. Who, who, who in my indignation, who, who when I am upset can I go to? God is so far off and so lofty and so amazing is what Job is saying. He, he's so far away. How do I get to him? How do I get in his counsel to understand what is going on? I need someone to go between me and God. And this is what Christ does for us. He comes between us. He actually pays for, for our sin. He lives the life that we could not. He dies in our place. And he is the one that goes to God and says, they are righteous now, not because of what they have done, but because of what I have done. And we're able to cast our minds here and see this. Let's skip on down to, to Job 18 really quickly. See, we just, we just did a whole chunk right there, right? Just skipped over a whole bunch of chapters. We're about to skip even bigger here in a second. We're going we're gonna, to uh, see Bildad one more time right here. And this is what Bildad says, in starting in verse 1. He says, How long will you hunt for your words? So you're trying to figure out your argumentation. Consider, uh, and, and then we will speak. Uh, why are we counted as cattle? Why are we stupid in your sight? You're not taking what we have to say for value. You who tear yourself in your anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you? Or the rock be removed out of its place? And this is what Job says. And this is, if you're familiar with any verse in Job, you'll probably be familiar with this. Job 19, starting in verse 23. This is his response. And this will probably be the last friend we have time to, to look at his response. Sorry, Zophar, we won't be able to see you, I guess. Um, <clears throat> this is what it says, starting in verse 23 of chapter 19. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Well, Job, they are. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know my Redeemer lives. For I know my Redeemer lives, and at, at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, remember, that's what Satan said at the beginning in chapter 2. When he was coming after Job, he says that he wants his skin. So here he's saying, After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. This is what he's been looking for, that mediator, the one who's going to come and who's going to make him uh, be seen as righteous. This is what he's looking for. This is what he's after. He's after his Redeemer, and he knows that God is the Redeemer. God is going to be the one that will validate him, and he's asking, he's pleading, God, let me have counsel with you. God, let me speak with you. How will you vindicate me before all of my friends? I just want them to stop talking and go away. If they would not have accused me, I would have just been asleep by now. I would probably be even more comforted by my bed than them. But I can't stop talking to them because they're accusing me. What am I supposed to do? Just let them go around throughout the earth and, and, and spread gossip of, of my sin and my unrighteousness? No, he's worked so hard for this reputation that he has to be righteous before men. He can't just let them go out and, and, and do that. And they're his friends. He doesn't want them to have a, a bad thought about them. He has to keep fighting for his validation. Where will we find wisdom? Who will be the wise person? Skip with me to Job 28. And here, amongst all of the talking and everything, Job finally has his own his own time to speak, uninterrupted, until Elihu comes. Elihu's about to come and mess it all up. He basically wants all of his friends to stop talking so that he can talk long enough to validate himself, but his friends, they're stuck. They want to say, Job, you're guilty. 
just stop, uh, uh, just come back to God. And he's saying, no, I, I, I really haven't sinned. There's got to be another explanation for why God allowed this. And as we seek after wisdom, let's do this. Let's start Job 28, and let's start in verse 12. And this is a little bit of his poem. It's, it's, it's very poetic as to what he says. He's, he's pointing to God. And, and I really find this to be one of the climaxes of these argumentations. This is, this is a big point in Job, Job 28. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, well, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's, it's not with me either. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in gold or, or all these sort of different uh, different stones. And if you skip down with me to chapter 20, the argument begins after all of this mining talk. It's not as valuable as any of these things. Verse 20. For where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death, this is grave, the grave uh, says, uh, we, have, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and He knows its place. For He looks to the end of the earth, and He sees everything under the heavens. When He gave to it the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when He made a decree for the rain and, and way for the thunder and the lightning, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, behold, Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here in 28.28 it says this, And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. As we grow, saints, as we grow and we follow after the Lord, we realize that we have been fools, that we have been foolish, that, that, that wisdom is something that is earned. John Piper once uh, was asked about maybe growing younger or something, and he said, why in the world would I want to be younger? To be younger is to be foolish. I have earned the gray on my head. I have earned my loss of hair. I am wise because I've seen things. Because I've experienced things. Job is saying, time spent with God produces wisdom. And time spent with God is learning to turn away from the evil things. This is what wisdom is. And this is how we find it. It's more valuable than all the riches that he ever had. This man was rich. He knew what wealth was. And he says, none of these precious stones could ever come Close to wisdom. Wisdom is earned. Time spent with God produces wisdom. And wisdom is something that is earned. After this, he gives a defense for himself again. He gives a final appeal for himself. And then this man named Elihu shows up. And Elihu says this, starting in uh, chapter 32, uh, verse 6. All the friends have been silenced. They don't want to talk with Job anymore. Basically, they're like, look, Job, you're a fool. Uh, you just, whatever, whatever, we're giving up on you. You should just listen to us, but you won't. And then this random guy, Elihu, uh, whose name means uh, the Lord is my God, uh, son of like righteousness or something like that. He's got a really fancy, great title, you know, that he comes in and you're like, yes, finally, this guy's going to bring the wisdom. The young guy. I understand in the room, I feel, I feel this. Um, he is going to speak a lot of foolishness, and um, hopefully I have not speak, uh, spoken foolishness here. Let's see what Elihu has to say. He says, uh, verse 6, I'm young in years, and, and you're all old. Uh, therefore, I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion. Uh, I said, let days speak and years teach wisdom, uh, but it is the spirit in man 
the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Basically, old guys can be fools too, and, and God's the one that gives wisdom, so I've, I've got the wisdom that God has given. All right, let's see if he does. It is not the old who are wise, uh, nor the aged who understand uh, what is right. Therefore, I say, listen to me, let me also declare my opinions. And then for several chapters, he goes on to regurgitate all of the arguments that the other friends gave, and he does not help. In fact, he does not comfort at all. In fact, there was no response to Elihu. He just condemns Job like the rest. Uh, several different authors, um, commentators I've read, they, they, different people vary as to how helpful Elihu is. Elihu does help to introduce some new ideas, but really it's the same ideas thrown in a blender, press the button, and it's not helpful. It's not really helpful. He defends God, but does God need a defender? I don't think so. So out of the whirlwind, God speaks. Chapter 38. We'll read the first several chapter, uh, verses here. And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, and you can just imagine the, I mean, come on. He's been fighting these men for several chapters, maybe days, weeks, who knows how long these events have going on, hours. Finally, God speaks. Elihu thought he was speaking for God. In fact, he says, I speak for God. What a foolish thing to say, Elihu. This is what he says, what God says. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you. Job, you've been questioning me. It's my time. I'm questioning you. And you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines this measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? He goes on to talk about mining illustrations. He goes on to talk about animals. These amazing animals. God goes on and on and on and lists all of these things. Where were you? Where were you, Job, when all these amazing things happened? Where were you when I set all of these things into motion? Your mind may be thinking back to Genesis 1 as God created everything. Where were you, Job, at the beginning of time? Where were you? Not an answer that Job was looking for. Where, where were you? We'll see another section in this. Go to verses 36 of chapter 38. He speaks to wisdom here. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? And, or who can tilt the water skins of the heaven when the dust runs into the mass and the clods stick fast together? Where is wisdom found, Job? Where is it found? Can you find it? Can you look to the highest heaven? Can you mine for it underground? Do you even know how to do those things? Not the answer he wants. So in verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 1, it says this, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And Job says this, meekly and quietly. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hands on my mouth. I have spoken once and... I will not answer twice, but I will not proceed any further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. And he continues on and on and on and on. Not an answer that Job was hoping for. Not an answer that we were hoping for, maybe. We want to know why. God, why? Answer me why. But then let's pick up in chapter 42. I encourage you to read all the things that God has to say. I don't, I don't understand half the things he has. I don't know. I don't know how these things happen. I, I, I don't know, God. I don't know with all of my modern advancements in science how, why the 
why the donkeys bray this way, or I, I don't know. I don't know these things. I try to Google them, and, and I, I have no idea, God. 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, uh, which I, I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. I have heard of you and by its hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This word repent right here, uh, we think New Testament, we think he's repenting of his sins. This is actually the same word comfort. At the very beginning, he was seeking comfort, and now the Lord has comforted him, and he's still in his ashes. He's finally at the end of the book, after he has heard from God, he has finally got the counsel. Here he is, comforted by the Lord. Here he is in a place where he can say, I don't know why. We all want to know why, right? We talked about this at the beginning, about an hour ago. We all want to know why, but he doesn't know why. But yet he spent time with the Lord, and it's produced wisdom, and it's produced understanding. And how many of us, if we're honest, can say there have been times where we've sat down to do our quiet time, we've opened our Bible in distress, and we've left with distress and wondered and struggled and wrestled with the Lord. But then there's other times where we sit and we pray, and we pray with others maybe, and we're cared for, and we can say, I've struggled with this, I've wrestled with this Lord, and the Lord takes the weight away. I don't know how he does this, I don't know why he does this, but I do know this, time spent with the Lord produces wisdom and understanding. This is something that I do know. In, in John chapter 9, there's a blind man there, and, and they ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And God says, no. Well, that's not the answer I was asking, God, uh, Jesus. Uh, who sinned? He says, no. This was done so that God would be glorified and magnified. Why, why then did this happen to Job? For the glory of God. I, I don't understand why this happened either. I don't know why this happened to you in your life or to your friend or to your pastor or to your sister or your brother or your parents. I don't know why. I don't know why the things happened. But I do know that God is for his glory. He's always been for his glory. And that he does everything for his glory. And that's why he does this. For his glory. Let's continue reading in, in verse in, uh Seven. Actually, I don't have enough time. I'll just tell you what happens. Uh, the, the friends basically say, and God basically, basically, God basically says, yeah, Job has been righteous this entire time. Uh, so, yeah, good job, Job. You've, 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 you've wrestled well. You've argued well. You, you've, you've strived with God well. Uh, but your friends, they've all sinned against me. So just like you made offerings for your children, uh, go and make offerings for them, and I'll accept them because I like you, Job. You're, you're a good guy. You're righteous before me. You love me. Uh, you spent time with me, and now you've been comforted. So go, go and do this. And then uh, it says that everything is restored to Job. In fact, twice as much. If you go and you, you look at chapter 1, and then you look at how many donkeys and all this, hey, he, the man gets double. Uh, now, is this what happens every time? No, because good is not, we don't get good for doing good, and we don't get bad for doing bad. That's not the gospel. The gospel uh, simply tells us uh, this. It tells us that, that it's a gift from God, that the mercy that we get is a gift. It's not always uh, do good, get good, do bad, get bad. No, that's not the gospel at all. We're told that it's a gift from God. I, I think that there's a couple of things that we can wrap up with and they're this. Job is restored, but there's four gospel implications that I think that we can take for our own hearts as we leave this place. I hope that you still feel the tension. Why? Why, God? But I hope, I hope that your minds have been casted to time spent with God, to seeking after wisdom. The fact that the, the striving with God is, is kind of the point. 
the wrestling with God is kind of the point, that this is how we go throughout our lives. I mean, think about the deep anguish of, of Christ at Gethsemane or on the cross. He was so, I mean, it was very much Job in chapter 3. What in the world is going on? But Jesus is able to answer uh, that he will go to the cross, that he will take this cup of wrath, that he will drink it for us. He's better than Job. The Job helps point to him. Before we go through these four things, I want to read something for you, and, and it's this. It's what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, and it says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We must look at, at Job with New Testament glasses. To understand Job, we must see it through the cross. We must see it through the gospel. And we must hope in God's sovereignty and in his justice. Because God's justice, it's perfect. We don't understand it, but it's perfect. And Christ has come to justify you and to justify me. God's righteousness is permanent. We have all of our sins before us, and yet the great exchange happens when, when Christ comes and He takes His righteousness and imputes it upon us. And when He does this, it's permanent. He gives us righteousness, not that we deserve, not that we are doing good and getting good, or doing bad and getting bad, but we have done bad. We are not like Job. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but yet still Christ gives us the gift the gift of new life in Jesus. God's sovereignty is preeminent, meaning that it is, that it is the top, that it is the key, that it, there's nothing more sovereign or more powerful than who God is, and we must trust His plan, even when it doesn't make sense, even in the darkest moments, we learn to trust Him. And you don't learn to trust Him overnight. No, what does Job 28 tell us? It comes from understanding, from fear of the Lord, time spent with God. And then finally, and this is where we'll end, God's wisdom is precious. I can't answer why. No preacher I know can, and believe me, I search high and low for an answer as to why. I think wisdom is the key to all of this. Seeing that we are finite, seeing that we are small, and that God is the one who was there at the beginning. The answer is supposed to be something that comforts. It's supposed to be a balm where, where God doesn't answer and say, this is why, and explains all the processes and, and explain why God and his sovereignty did what he did. But he just says, you need to trust me because I'm bigger than you could ever think, imagine, or know. Wisdom, wisdom teaches us that we are small and that God is good, that he is amazing. And let me just say this before we go. The gospel is so clear here in Job that karma isn't real. These other ways of life aren't real. These other religions or philosophies are all garbage. And what stands at the top is God and his wisdom. And we need to learn to trust that. We won't get the answer maybe this side of heaven or maybe next. But we can learn to trust God in everything. And it's going to take time. And it's going to be hard. And we're going to need to wrestle each and every day. But Job was comforted. The worst things happen to the best man. And yet at the end he finds himself, though in ruin, comforted. Find comfort today in the cross, in your sinfulness, but in his goodness and his love for you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall live and have life eternal with him. Life eternal is the peace given to us by God. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the book of Job. I thank you for, God, this imagery of suffering, that we can suffer well, that we can seek your face in the hardest of the situations. I pray that we would be comforted today in whatever situation we find ourselves in, knowing that you are big, that you are sovereign, and that you are good. God, this gets asked so many times in this book. 
Are you good? Where are you? And we know that you are close, that you are imminent, that you have given us Jesus, who is God with us, a manual to care for us, to walk in our place, to suffer in our place. And Father, we thank you that, that you have sent a mediator for us who knows our pain and who has experienced more than we could imagine by going to the cross and taking on all of our sins. Father, today would you comfort us? Would you give us wisdom? And would you encourage us to spend time with you? In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you, guys.